1: And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Than Bennett. I'm in for Bill today, and I am—I'm so excited. I've got to tell you, this is this is a topic that is uh, close to my heart. I'm excited to start the show today by just rejoicing in the truth that you and I—we have received the Spirit of adoption. We've received the Spirit of sonship in Jesus Christ. Those are those are the words that Romans eight uses to describe it. You have been adopted by the Father. I have been adopted by the Father. We have been chosen. He sought you out. He sought me out, and He chose to make us His own and to give us His name. And this is something that anytime, anytime I talk about it, it's really hard to, for me to wrap my r- mind around the magnitude of it, how beautiful it is, how uh, completely uh, redemptive it is. And, and, and I think that that is a huge reason that Scripture calls us to reflect the character of Christ through the work of adoption and through the work of orphan care uh, for for those around the world. This is something that that our family is passionate about. We've been foster care providers for a number of years now. We are in the process of adopting for ourselves, and we will get into some of that story as we go along. But I am really thrilled to be engaging this conversation and to be thinking about how all of us have a role to play in it, with my guest this afternoon his his name is Mark Senius. now mark has a a beautiful story to share with us and that's where really where we're going to focus but let me introduce him uh, to you first he is the the chair of the department of communication at the university of northwestern st paul mark has worked in radio for 20 years in a number of markets and and there's there's more in the bio here but mark i i I don't know. I think I would be negligent if I started anywhere but here. I was, I was told, and I, I don't even really know what this means, but I was told that you were once known as Disney Dayton. That and is correct, sir. I, I, so, so I got to know about that. I don't even know what that means. But welcome to the afternoon show. Tell me first about Disney Dayton. So that was the on-air name that I had for a radio station here
2: in the Twin Cities for a number of years. Uh, I had done a lot of promotional work and did some radio work on the West Coast and happened to do a lot of different things with Disney. And so it became kind of a nickname. And with a name like Mark Senius, nobody knows how to spell it. It's like, oh, it rhymes with genius. That works. But they figured out pretty quickly it just rhymes so I couldn't really brand myself effectively that way. So uh, they decided to use uh, the Disney moniker and I worked for a station that uh, there were a lot of different sort of clever names. So there was uh, Elmo Lake and Bo Tarkenton and Smiling Tom Fridley and Moose Miller. So you kind of get the idea. Sioux Falls was another one. And so kind of Danny Zamboni, that was one of my favorites. And so just the the whole station was sort of surrounded by these these names. And so that's how I got that moniker.
1: Well, I I love it. It's got a nice alliteration to it. You know, when I was uh a when I was younger, I wanted to be a play-by-play uh, announcer on the radio. So things like, you know, a, a dribble drive—it's just got the nice alliteration to it. And so, you know, I don't know, Disney Dayton—I might, I might uh, pop back to that once in a while as we have this conversation. Yeah,
2: that sounds fine. I did become Disney Marshall Field, and then Disney Macy's. Oh. You know, if you wanted to follow along on
1: that—that th- that that really just doesn't have <laughs> the same feel to me. But <laughs> yeah, anyway, I love it. I appreciate you humoring me. That's a, thats a—that's a great introduction, great icebreaker. Look. Uh, I want to talk about adoption during the few minutes that we have together. As as I mentioned in the lead-in, this is a topic that is close to our family's heart. I, I really think that Scripture tells us, Mark, that it's clearly at the center of God's heart as well, and so— uh, we as a family just feel so compelled to help people find ways, they can look like different ways, but ways to walk in that blessing. And I do want to talk about that in a moment, but more than anything, I want people to hear your family's experience with adoption and how it has impacted you. And so I, I recognize that this is, this is an enormous open-ended question and we can kind of work through it slowly if you, if you want to, but let's start with your story. Tell us a little bit of how that played out for, for your family.
2: Sure. So my wife and I, when we first got married, I think adoption was definitely, we had talked about it and it would be cool to do that at some point. But uh, I would say the reality of it was, for me, I'd be like, ah, good idea, but, you know, no. Like, <laughs> like, no, I don't really, like, ah, this is not really the right time. No, 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 no. Right? So just a lot of no's and a lot of concerns and fear certainly played into that. I mean, we just really liked the idea of it. And my my spirit was well, you know, my flesh was just weak, right? Mm-hmm. And so... Um. so we had talked about it, and then what are we going to do? And then it kind of was on the back burner for a while, and we talked about it, and I was very resistant, just like, no, no, no. And we had two biological children in, in this process as well. And then one day we're in the church parking lot, and we saw this other family coming the other way, and they had just returned from Ethiopia, and they had their daughter in tow, and she was now three years old or four years old at the time. And you know they're walking into the into the area, and I, I saw my wife. Um, her, she just melted. Right, she just. I could see her, and when I saw her melt, it just it melted my heart. And I was like, okay, this. I I was like this audible voice from the Lord. It's like now's the time. And so that's what we did. It's like, we like, okay, let's do this. And so we took some adoption classes and what are we really doing? And we were also talking about having another child. And so that was really sort of like, we wanted a third child. And, uh, but we were kind of getting a little older at the time. And so it just seemed like the the best way and what the Lord was calling us to do. And then the process was very fast. So we, um, I was like resistant to, international adoption originally and it's like well what about you know this place this place this place but then it just came back to Ethiopia for us and knowing these children that were there that they were loved in this impossible situation and so we were just really moved by that particular experience and so we you know adopted our son from uh, Ethiopia and you know now he's 20 years old Hmm. and it's uh, it's been an amazing ride for sure just a beautiful kid really fun hilarious um it's been certainly an eye-opening experience in a transracial uh, adoption setting um navigating that but uh, that's kind of the the 32nd version of that story um yep. but it, it i just my heart was just melted when i saw my wife just fall in love with this other child and seeing it and it's like okay that's we got to do that
1: so, so I want to ask a couple of things about that. Sure. Um, for I want to get to your son in just a moment, uh, but first, I, I relate to your experience with your your wife's heart being compelled first. That uh, that that's true in our situation as well. In fact, uh, we we kind of joke in our marriage. I'm the no guy in our marriage, right? <laughs> and, and and my wife Brooke has learned that when when uh, she feels like she has a word from God, what she just kind of does is bring it up as a suggestion and then kind of walks away. Sometimes for days or weeks or Maybe years, right? And eventually, eventually, I hear from God and kind of circle around to what she already knew he was saying. But uh, that that is how it played out for us. But my question for you is: as as you and your wife were at various stages of this, how, how did you work through being of one accord in in walking into this decision? I, I know that's a I know that's a heavy question, but I just know from experience that that's a challenge, that this is a hard thing. And so families come to this at, at their own individual pace in, uh, pacing, and it can be difficult to make sure that you're on the same page, but it's very important. So uh, may, maybe just say a word or two about how you all managed that.
2: Sure. Well, first of all, my wife is a extraordinarily patient uh when she has every right to be impatient with me <laughs> um and so she's just really uh sweet and kind in in that area um so it was really pretty you know she wouldn't push she didn't um she just waited patiently. I mean, just, you know, waiting for the Lord to, like, you know, we, she didn't want to, like, do this. She didn't want me to feel obligated uh, to adopt. This is not something that we have to do. We wanted to have a heart that's like, this is something that we get to do, right? You know, we don't have to follow Jesus, but we get to, right? Which is a whole different way of, of looking at things. If you have to follow it, there's it's like, then where's the heart? Where's the, where's the love? Where's the joy amidst the gravity and gladness of who Jesus is, right? So that would be the first thing is that she was just really patient and I want I was like I I was leaning into it so it was like I wanted to say yes but it was just really hard to 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 really just be all in and so I think we were both just waiting for that moment when it was like yep here we go this is it and we just waited on the lord we prayed Um, And we also read a a verse uh, from Job 42 that I think just really drove us through the whole thing, which is that nothing thwarts the Lord, right? So Mm -hmm. if the Lord is in it, it will happen. And so we just waited for the Lord to make that moment clear in our lives, and then he did and it was i mean it happened fast after that i mean it was like in october that this happened where we like our hearts are melted let's do this and then we're in ethiopia adopting our son by june right so oh, wow. i mean it was fast and yeah. so that and that probably helped me <laughs> more than anything else there was no time for any <laughs> doubt to creep in like, <laughs> no oh wait back. we're going hey you know and then on my birthday we received the you know referral in march and so that was kind of exciting so that, yeah, it was that's very amazing
1: cool. so th- let me ask let me ask about your biological children you said mm-hmm. you have two biological yep. children what what about what about them how did you walk them through that process and i i asked sort of selfishly because we're in the midst of that right now our kids are 15 13 and 11 and they're very excited about this but again i know it's... They give and take. So what would you say to someone out there with biological children considering adoption? What do you need to watch out for? And what do you need, How do you prepare them?
2: Yeah, first of all, you you join in with them. You're just like, hey, we're thinking about doing this and help them be a part of it. So that's not something that's separate from them. I mean, it is something that's going to affect them. Much the same way that you would talk to your children. It's like, hey, we're going to have another baby. You're going to have a sister or brother or whatever, you know, might be. So I I don't think that there's a lot of difference there in how you would want to bring, you know, your other kids along. Our kids were a little bit older by this time. Oh, gosh, I have to remember. Uh, hmm. Probably six and four or five and three or maybe a little bit older than that. Actually, it was eight and six. So um, good thing I remember. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it becomes yeah. a blur, doesn't it? Yeah, At it is. Point. It's just like bang and so- suddenly here we are. So, um, so we just walked them through it. And I would say there was definitely a lot of nervousness. There was, you know, fear. We had to travel to Ethiopia. So um, my daughter was definitely, you know, fearful that what happens if we don't, you know, come back, you know, that's a long way to go. And she just that whole distance of where we were traveling, it wasn't just across the city, right? It was, you know, a whole day away, 24 hours of flights, right? And so I think just walking them through and, and helping them understand, because they were very excited about it too. But I think just the idea and what's this going to mean, and especially my daughter, you know, now suddenly the middle child, right? Instead of the you know, the young one, um, you know, I think that that was, it was hard for her. But, but she also, I mean, she really loves our son. And so that's uh, been pretty amazing. She's really delightful, my daughter. She's amazing.
1: I love it, Mark. We're going to take a quick break, real, real quick. What is your What is your adopted son's name? Oh, David is his name. David. So, yeah. Okay. I want to talk about David specifically when we get back. I also want to uh, get your thoughts for the person listening who is trying to find out how they participate in this work. Maybe, maybe they adopt. Maybe they come around adoptive families or foster care. Maybe they provide wraparound support. I want to get your thoughts about how each of us can own a piece of this i'm fan bennett i'm sitting in for bill today my guest is mark Senius, and we are talking about the beauty of adoption and having the spirit of adoption and sonship in jesus christ as we go to a break i just want to read john 14 18 it's a wonderful wonderful promise it says i will not leave you as orphans i will come to you we'll be back with more right after this
0: Hi, this is Bill Arnold, host of the Afternoon Show. If you're a reader and you love Susie Larson, I've got quite an offer for you. She has written a new book called Waking Up to the Goodness of God, 40 Days Towards Healing and Wholeness. And you're not going to believe this, but our friends at Thomas Nelson, the publisher, has said we will give you 100 copies of Susie Larson's brand new book to give away and all you have to do to enter to win yours is to go to MyFaithRadio.com, connecting faith to life, Faith Radio. It's the afternoon show.
1: I'm Than Bennett sitting in for Bill today. My guest is Mark Senius, and we are talking about the beautiful gift of adoption and inviting Each of you, each of us to consider how we should participate in this beautiful, I call it a mandate and an invitation, and I want to talk about that in just a moment. But first, uh, Mark, I want to ask specifically about your adopted son from Ethiopia. You said his name is David. I believe you said he's 20 years old now. Yeah, just turned 20. Yeah. Wow. So, And and, and how old was he when you got him? He was three.
2: Three, okay. Yeah, so he
1: was like an upgrade. (laughs) We we were kind of old, like, ah, diapers again, man. I don't know. So that was... (laughs) part of the decision there i will confess never too old for that i i will i will confess to you that as i invite people into this space i remind them that uh you know there are 15 and 16 year olds that are about to age out of the system that need someone mm. to provide a launching uh, a home base right and a home base to return to but the, the the long-term commitment as far as parenting might be short and so i just think there's a space for everyone so i I appreciate that, but I wanted to ask you specifically about David and you know answer this in, in, in whichever way you feel comfortable, but I hear when I have conversations with adopted children, I love hearing. Um, their perspective on maybe what the best thing about adoption is, and obviously he was young when he was adopted, so maybe there's not a um, a, a big contrast there. But then maybe also just what what are what are some of the challenges? I know you mm. said this is a transracial adoption. Maybe maybe speak to both sides of that if you would.
2: Yeah, and the challenges, I mean, definitely ha- have been there. You know, were because he doesn't really quite fit in necessarily in the sense Mm. that, you know, he's not, you know, uh, an African-American, right? Because he's African. And so, but then he's also got white parents. And so there's definitely a dynamic there, you know, especially more, not so much in the younger years that when he was like in elementary school or even junior high, it was more that time when he went to high school where it became way more apparent. And some of the friends that he had at a younger age kind of drifted away. And so, Mm. yeah, he just, it was a little hard to sort of, find his his place in in that sense. Um, so I think that was probably just the biggest challenge. And then there's just the challenge of being a dad and just not recognizing or some of the things just to be aware of that, you know, that his experience in life is just so much different in the way that people react to him, especially he's not the cute little boy. He's, you know, just a bigger guy now. And so... Mm-hmm. It's like so. There's definitely some things that have happened to him that have been like, wow, that was really. I wouldn't have seen that happen. That I didn't have to really navigate with my biological children, with our biological children. So, um, so that would probably be the the biggest challenge. Um, and then also, you think that it's like well, the adopted child is going to be so much different. And it's like, well, every child that you have is yep. different. And so, I think just you know, you need to really just love. Who he is, in this case, just love David the way he is and then and try to you know nurture him and help him in the way that he learns, uh, which is going to be just a little bit different than you know each of our children right we have, I like to say we have one of each hmm. right three kids, and so um so I think that 's probably the the probably the biggest challenge is just that piece, um as far as his reaction to being adopted i don 't know how he would answer that question it would be something probably he 'd have to answer. Hmm. Uh, In that regard. So um, I think he's glad, but, you know, but there's a, there's a huge, huge loss here, right? Because it's like, you know, to not know, you know, a lot of things and to, you know, where he, I'm not his biological family, right? So just Mm -hmm. that loss, um, I think, and the loss that you feel for him, that that's. You know, because we didn't look at it as like we're rescuing you or saving you. We would like to, if we wanted another child. And this, we felt, was the way that the Lord called us to do it, um, you know, based on some of the mandates that we've talked about already, too. So it's just like we felt really called to do this. And so I think, you know, giving him that space um, and just sitting in the loss, uh, there's so much loss associated with adoption, I think, and to to really remember that. Because there are plenty of people that, you know, aren't able to have children and this is the way that they would go, and so I think there's just a, there's just that loss. I think that over that was the, one of the hardest things for me to sort of, really kind of come to understand and grip that the only reason
1: we're here that we are adopting is there's been a tremendous loss. Yeah, that's good. That's good hit. Now, has he been back to Ethiopia, or does he does he have a desire to go back? Um,
2: no, if we, uh, it's really been hard for us. Um, we definitely want to go back, but um first the covid we had plans yep. and then covid and now there's just so much unrest in Ethiopia that yep. i mean that's where the prayer is you know if you want to pray just pray for Ethiopia a lot of places just in well all over the place <laughs> really um but we've wanted to travel but just so much um just so much just yeah you can't do, go anywhere and there's some travel bans and uh, like you can only travel during the day and so we just aren't able to get there so um, I think there's a desire for him to to want to go, but mm-hmm. we just have to be patient and and wait. And it's it's hard because we were planning to go this May, and we just aren't going to be able to go. So it's a bummer. Uh, we'll,
1: we'll certainly pray into that. I'm, I'm sure that would be. Um, I think I think that's a healthy experience, right? To reconnect with uh, a place, uh, a birthplace of origin. I, as you were talking, Mark, I was I was thinking about how so much of the Christian walk is relational, right? At its core, it's a relationship with Jesus Christ. And then, you know, as you walk it out through things like adoption, um, you know, we're, we're waiting to be matched right now. And as we review case files, it, you know, you review sheets of paper but you are reminded that each one of these is a person it is a, a, a an image bearer of the Almighty God and it is um, what what a privilege what a privilege it is to be able to serve in that space and I kind of want to want to shift gears just a little bit to get your thoughts on that we have sort of talked already about how uh, adoption is a mandate it's it's a Biblical mandate. It's a biblical instruction. It is a it is a must, and it's it's quite frankly right at the top of the list when Jesus talks about how to uh, serve Him and love Him. It's caring for for the fatherless, but uh, it, it's it's also an invitation. It's a it's an it's a beautiful invitation to know the heart of God. And I think Mark, I think I would tell you that our service in foster care has done more to reveal to us the heart of God than maybe anything else that we've done. And so there's I don't know, it's a it's a it's two sides of the same coin. It's a mandate and an invitation. I just I just wonder what your thoughts are about that framing from your experience.
2: Yeah, I would say and probably this, you know, my unique opportunity just being a a professor at a at the University of Northwestern St. Paul um, that I think that there's more of ways to adopt than, you know, just bringing a child into your home. I mean, it's like, do you want another child? I think you got to answer that question. If you do, then, you know, foster care, adoption, there's a lot of different ways. But the ways that you sort of give back and, and just the areas of influence that you might have, I mean, the way that you might uh, volunteer for um, for – Sunday school, for example, or Wednesday night youth group, there are many other ways that you can sort of adopt other people and really give back in that, in that sense of being able to love and being an example of who Jesus is and just that mentorship that you can bring. Um, I mean, I feel like every one of the students that have come through the the program here at University of Northwestern, uh, and they are my like little babies, right? You know, one of what? Why the producer here is a student, uh, you know, graduated a few years ago, and now here he is, you the know. man. It is great. I mean, it's like this. It's one of those things. It's like yes, you know, and I can only train him up in the way that he should go with regards to this particular field of communication and media, right? And so, I mean, I wanted to pursue Christ, pursue the craft of what he's supposed to do, and then in in. Just keep going, right? Until the Lord says, yeah, you're done, you know, and that's it, right? And then we get to see him face to face. And that's, you know, that's my heart and prayer. So I think there are a lot of imaginative ways to really look at how you might serve with that adoptive spirit in the way that the Lord adopts us. There are, you know, friends, family, other people that are in your life that you can adopt. You know, not just maybe legally in name, but you know, certainly in heart and in a in a presence and and holiness and and yearning that they would know who Jesus is.
1: Yeah, I'm so glad you you went that direction because I I, I wanted to make sure we underscored that as we come to the end of our time and, and maybe I'll just get one more thought from you on it because. Um, All of us are instructed to play a role, but that doesn't mean that it looks the same way. You you mentioned adoption. You mentioned foster care. You know, you can also support families who are adopting. You can support and and, and wrap around uh, people who are are fostering. I, I would just tell you, Mark, I... Uh, having been on both sides of this coin, I mean, something as simple as showing up with a warm meal on the evening that a foster family takes placement or offering babysitting in those early weeks when, you know, uh, maybe, maybe it's just the, the, uh, babysitting the, the biological children and a new adoptive child, something small, something that only takes a couple of hours. But to me, and this is maybe where I'll ask you to speak into this, to me, it's being aware of who is serving around you, and maybe that's your first dip of the toe into the water. Who in your church is doing this work hands-on, and how can you support them as they do that work? To me, I think that's the the most natural uh, first step, but like you said, all sorts of ways to engage this work.
2: Yeah, I can, I mean, and it's been a big push for the station for to be involved in one child. That's a, yep. a really wonderful way to to be involved and invest in the life of, of someone uh, that definitely, you know, you can be a part of and really kind of build a relationship with and be, you know, kind of the hands and feet of Jesus and, and you know, just be another, you know, um, image bearer to help that other person, you know, know who Jesus is and just be that other example and, you know, really look to them as well. So I think it's a wonderful, that's one way of doing it that comes to mind off the top of my head here.
1: I love it so much, Mark. I, I really appreciate you spending a few minutes with us telling your family story. And, and um, I, I just hope if, if someone is out there listening, I want to challenge you to think about this this area of service in a new way. Maybe you are are called to a doubt. That would be beautiful and it'd be wonderful. But I, I just think if you search the scriptures, you will find uh, that mandate and invitation folded together time and time again. And when, when Jesus is asked, you know, how do we know that you, that you uh, that that we love you, he he responds in this way by by caring for the orphan and by uh, caring for the widow. So this is a way that we commune with Jesus. It is a way that we show him that we love him. Uh, in fact, that uh, James calls it true religion. True religion that God accepts as fe- as pure and faultless is to look after the orphans and to look after. The widows. And he promises to be a father to the fatherless. And I love this. It's in Psalm 68. He promises to set the lonely in families. I think that's a good place to leave the conversation. My guest has been Mark Senius. I am Than Bennett sitting in for Bill. After the break, we are going to be joined by Ray Comfort, and we will be back right after this. Go and make disciples. Those were among Jesus' final words to His disciples, and really they were some of His final words to all of us as He ascended into heaven. This is one of our primary jobs here on earth, maybe the primary job, telling people about Jesus and drawing them to His side. But I think if, if, think if we're honest with ourselves, a lot of us find this challenging. And so my guest this half hour has some ideas about how to help us with that. He is Ray Comfort and he likely requires no introduction for many of you. Uh, he's the founder and the CEO of Living Waters. He's also a bestselling author of more than a hundred books he, and he co-hosts the award-winning television program Way of the Master, which airs, I love this, it airs in 190 countries. Praise God. Now, uh, Ray, I, I have not actually had the pleasure of meeting you in person, but I'm very grateful for your ministry, have been for some time now, and I am I'm grateful for the chance to, to hear from you today. So thank you for being here.
3: Oh, I appreciate being on your program. Maybe one way. If you're in, if you're in Southern California sometime, come to the ministry. We'll host you for lunch.
1: I, I appreciate that deeply. I love to go to Southern California. I'm in Washington, D.C., so it's a it's a bit of a trek, but we will see if we can make that happen at some point. Um, okay, let's let's dig in here. The, the book is Why Jesus? Answering Life's Most Important Question, and it, it, it outlines a, a number of the personal conversations of which you, I'm, I'm sure you've had thousands along these lines, where you've shared your, your faith with people from all walks of life. And I, I love this concept because this is something that we all need to grow in. And so I, I'm glad you've lent yourself to the effort. But what, what prompted you to write it in this way? Why did you think this was necessary?
3: Because every day, 150,000 people die, and mm-hmm. God's granted everlasting life through the gospel. The Bible makes an amazing claim. Well, it's fantastic in the truest sense of the word. It says this, Jesus Christ has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. That's a crazy statement because people still die. And yet the Bible says that is actually what happens. When someone becomes a Christian, they receive the life of God. Uh, God places his Holy Spirit within In fact, we're told in Scripture that we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. The life of God dwells in us. Scripture says, Christ, who is our life. And when you compare Jesus to all the other religious leaders, it's like comparing the sun at noonday to a flashlight without batteries. There's no comparison whatsoever because he said things like this, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He said he was the very source of life. I'm the resurrection and the life. As I said, Christ who is our life. Scripture says, he that has the Son has life. These things have I written to you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have everlasting life. So We look at these great religions, Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, et cetera, and see they all have one thing in common, and that is they're all works righteousness religions. If you study them closely, you'll see they have to do something to make their way into heaven. They have to earn their way to heaven, and they do this because they don't understand God's holiness and his righteousness. They don't realize that God reveals himself in scripture as a judge And so if you try and offer a judge something when you're on trial, it's an attempt to bribe him. And the Bible says any religious works, lying on beds of nails, sitting on hard pews, facing mecca, doing good works, praying, all these things will not turn the judge's head on judgment day. He'll not be compromised in his justice. But in Christ, God came down from his throne. The judge came down and paid our fine on that cross and now we can have peace with God. We can have everlasting life as a free gift of God all because of what Jesus did on the cross. So that's why I wrote the book, because 54 million people die every year hmm. and we've got everlasting life. So we have got a moral obligation. And I love the words of D.L. Moody. I'd rather set a thousand to work than do the work of a thousand. We have laborers out there that are sitting on hard pews and they need to get out of the pews into the harvest fields and there's ways to do it. Uh, that make it so much easier. It's an irksome task, as Spurgeon said, but there are things that you and I can do to make the task easier.
1: It's an irksome task, but there are things to do to make it easier. I I love that. Ray, you've given your life to this mission and I'm grateful for it, but I want to glean... From it, my understanding, um, and, and from reading through some of the book, it, it's your personal conversations over the years with people. Um, describe that format for me just, just a little bit, because I found it helpful, because I could put myself in your shoes, and, and what would I do in that situation? So just explain that a little bit. These are your personal conversations with people that you have shared your faith with.
3: Yeah, they're actually the cream of conversations from our YouTube channel. Our YouTube channel's got 272 million views. And there's something interesting about our channel. And let me compare it to my dog. I've never told my dog that a Great Dane is a dog and a Chihuahua is a dog. I haven't gone through an encyclopedia of dogs and said, see this horse? That's actually a Great Dane. And see this mouse? That's a Chihuahua. They're of your kind. (laughs) Never did it with her. And she recognizes her own kind instantly. She sees a cat, she sees a dog, tail wags. How does she recognize her own kind? Because it's intuitive with her. And you and I have a similar fascination with our own kind. Have you ever watched Super Bowl or some sporting event and they pan the crowd? And then you say, hey, hey, look, there's someone that looks like Uncle Arthur. Look at that guy's ears. Oh, there's something fascinating about human beings. And it it goes on steroids when you get to be a fly on the wall or over my shoulder as I witness to people and talk to them about the most intimate of subjects. When I say to people, are you afraid of dying? And you see their eyes widen and they say a little bit and say a little bit, you're kidding. It's a horror beyond words. I said, you know, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, we are haunted by the fear of death all our lifetime did you know that and they say no and i see their eyes widen because and i can read what they're thinking through their in their eyes they're thinking how did this guy know i'm scared of death i haven't told mom I haven't told dad and so you when you got when you watch our YouTube channel, get to watch this intimate conversation. Well, we took the cream of those conversations and put them in a book. I did it years ago and I was surprised that someone read them and said they burst into tears. And I thought, does it have the same effect just in the written words? So we've been doing this regularly, taking the cream of conversations and putting them in the book, and they are ministering to people. And like you said, you get to say, what would I say in that situation? And it becomes educational, helps you build up your confidence.
1: Yeah. I love it. I mean, I think death, you know, it's obviously a common fear. I think there's a commonality there. So it's a good place to start. You know, one of the things that, that stuck out to me, um, is your, your intentionality about not shying away from our sin nature. And this is, I think this is hard for a lot of people, Ray. It's hard to confront someone with the, the truth and, and they know it, but with, with the truth that they are a sinner, what, what would you say to those of us that struggle with that? How do you, um, how do you approach the, the topic of sin, and how do you use it to draw people to the side of Jesus?
3: Yeah, you know, often I'll say to people, "You're a doctor, and in front of you is a patient that looks incredibly well. In fact, he goes to the gym every day, and he's got a great physique. He looks really healthy, but you know better because you've seen X-rays, and you know this guy's dying. He's got two weeks to live, and you've got a cure in your pocket. I say, do you, do you give him the cure?" Or do you show him the x-rays? And people often say, you give him the cure because he's ill. And I say, that's not going to work. Do you know why? They I say, no, tell me. It's because he thinks he's well. As long as he thinks he's well, he's not going to want the cure. He's going to say, "What do you give me a cure? look at me? I'm he- I'm healthy. I'm well. Look, great physique. What do you give me a cure for?" He'll even be offended. Now, if that doctor knows what he's what he's doing, he'll hide that cure and instead he will show him the X-rays and show him poison seeping through his system. And when he sees sweat come to his brow, the doctor thinks to himself, "Good, he's beginning to see how serious this is." And then when the patient says, "Doc, I see what you're saying," wow. What should I do? Now he's ready for the cure. And that's the principle of biblical evangelism. What we have done in the, for the last hundred years in our nation and in many other nations is we've held up the cure. We've said Jesus died on the cross. We've been told to preach the gospel to every creature, and we, and we do. We tell them the good news that Christ died. And who in America doesn't know John 3.16? Now they know the cure, but it's irrelevant to them because they think they're well morally. Ask anybody, do you think you're a good person Oh, yes, I'm a very good person. And the same thing applies when it comes to Scripture. You look at Scripture and see Jesus with a rich young ruler. He approaches him. He says, how can I get everlasting life? And Jesus said, why do you call me good? He said, there's none good but God. And then he gave him five of the Ten Commandments. Why did he do that? To show him the X-rays. He didn't give him the cure. He showed him the x-rays, and that's what we must do. And there's a way to do it, and there's a way to do it in love and in gentleness. So what I do is say to people, think you're a good person? Yeah. Say so you think you're morally well? Absolutely, I'm a good person. So let's look at the x-rays, the Ten Commandments. Jesus said if you look at a woman and lust for her, you commit adultery with her in your heart. Have you ever done that? Oh, all the time. Ever use God's name in vain? Yeah, it's a bad habit. Have you lied and stolen? Yeah, yeah, when I was younger. So you're a lying thief, a blasphemer, and an adulterer at heart? What are you going to do on Judgment Day? God's going to bring all your sins out as evidence of your guilt, and you're going to be guilty. Can you see that and say, yeah, absolutely. And that's when they're ready for the cure, say, well, God's rich in mercy, and he provided a Savior. You and I broke God's law, the Ten Commandments, the moral law, but Jesus came and paid the fine. And often I'll say to them, if you're in court and you've got speeding fines, a judge will let you go if someone pays those fines. Even though you're guilty, he lets you go. Why? Because your fine was paid by another, and it's legal. I say, God can legally take the death sentence off you. He can let you live forever because Jesus paid paid the fine on that cross, rose again from the dead, defeated death, and if you'll simply repent of those sins and trust in Jesus— God will grant you have a lasting life, not because you're good, but because he's good and kind and rich in mercy. Now, in there, I've used a number of principles, if I may. I'll very quickly share them with you. Number one is the person has a will to live, as we touched on earlier on. They don't want to die. That's because they're not a dog or a horse or a cat or a cow. They're a human being made in the image of God. And God's placed eternity on their hearts. Something in them cries, oh, I don't want to die. We can tap into that. Think of a, a waitress She's in her restaurant and she sees three businessmen come in and they're very slick in their three-piece suits and little cases, put them on the desk. They're obviously wheeling and dealing millions of dollars. Is she intimidated by them? Not at all. She just walks up and says, can I take your order? She butts in. Why? Because she knows she has what they want. They're there to eat food. And so she's confident in that fact. She's got what they want. And you and I have what this world wants more than anything. Right at this moment, there are literally millions of people in these torture chambers called gyms and others drinking a green slime that's kind of a health drink. Why? Because they want to extend their life as much as they can. And yet we have found everlasting life. They think we're religious, but we know better. But we have what they want. And that's why we must be bold. We must learn how to do this irksome task, because these people are human beings that are dying. And the second thing I did was I addressed the conscience, the work of the law written on the heart. If you stay with the intellect, you're going to get arguments. You circumnavigate the intellect and go for the conscience, as Jesus did, by pointing to the Ten Commandments and saying, do you think you're a good person? How many lies have you told? Have you ever stolen something? That stirs up the conscience, and the conscience uh, affirms the truth of the commandments, and it's actually a an impartial judge on the courtroom of the mind that will agree with what you're saying. So instead of having antagonism, you get harmony between you and the person that you're talking to because that conscience is an ally.
1: So good, Ray. We're going to head to a, a break here. But you know, uh, one of the things you said—if if we truly believe that a judgment day is coming, and that those that we love are going to stand in front of a God who is going to judge uh, their life and their eternity rests on their on that decision—then the least loving thing that we can do is not offer them the gift of Jesus Christ. I'm so grateful that you've written this book to give us the tools to just to do that. Uh, again, the book is Why Jesus, Answering Life's Most Important Question. It was written by my guest, Ray Comfort. I am Than Bennett sitting in for Bill, and we will be back with more with Ray right after this.
0: Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. And right now, there are kids in desperate need of Jesus, food, and medical care. This is your time to become their champion, to change their life. When you sponsor just one child, you plant seeds of hope in their heart, and you work together with people on the ground to change the families, communities, and the future of these kids. You might not be able to change the world, but for one child, you can change theirs. Meet the kids, find your child at MyFaithRadio.com.
1: I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Those are the words of Jesus. My guest is Ray Comfort. I'm Than Bennett sitting in for Bill, and Ray is telling us how to help others find that one way to the Father. Ray, I, w- I want to jump right back in here, but before uh, we get too far away, I-, I want you to be able to tell people where to learn more about your ministry and where to buy the book. So fill us in on that.
3: Well, the book can be purchased wherever good books are sold, uh, or through livingwaters.com. And the YouTube channel is just Living Waters YouTube or Ray Comfort YouTube if they want to check that out. Appreciate oh, that. Okay. I... Some, some, something else I'd like to mention. Yes. We've got something coming up in Paris. Last year, we... Uh, We went to London, our team went to London for the uh, coronation of King Charles and we had 16 million tracks printed up with Charles's picture on the front and the gospel on the back, very classy looking tracks, looked like million dollars or million pounds. And we gave away 16 million, 22,000 people did it uh, on the day of the coronation throughout the world. Great outreach and we're having a similar thing in Paris during the Olympics. We've had four different Olympic millions printed. Well, they're being printed, one in the US, one in Australia, one in uh, Europe, the euro, and one pound in England. And we're making those available free of charge. We're having 12, 12 million printed, uh, just pay for the shipping, uh, to com- to uh, <clears throat> coincide with the Olympics. And three 3 billion people watch the Olympics. That's 3,000 million. So this is a wonderful opportunity. So people can find out details about that by going to livingwaters.com forward slash Paris.
1: So wonderful. Praise God. Living Waters, uh, livingwaters.org slash Paris. Is that what you said? No, livingwaters.com. Com. Okay. That's Paris. Paris. Great. Okay. Let's get really practical for a minute here, Ray, because I know the mission of this book is to help those of us who want to share uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, so practically speaking, if I want to get better at this, what are the things that I need to know? What are the things that I need to understand? And where would you start?
3: Yeah, I would start in Southern California. No, just kidding. The, the, <laughs> what I do is I start by asking this question, and this has been huge for me, and I'm not exaggerating here. I've uh, <clears throat> traveled on 2,000 flights, and I've had to witness to people on planes. And I say I had to because my conscience wouldn't let me n- not do it. But I'm not kidding when I say this. I would sit in a seat in a plane waiting to take off, or just boarded the plane. The seat next to me is empty. So I would co- subconsciously Pray for the person next to me. And this is what I would pray. Please, Lord, don't let them show up. And I'm not kidding. (laughs) That was my subconscious prayer. Every time I look at the empty seat, oh, please, please let me know. But, you know, I want to relax. I don't want to have to witness to a stranger. But I learned something that really helped me. And this has been huge for the last 30 or so years. I used to have such a problem with a mountain of bringing the subject of the things of God up until I understood this. Just say to someone, and you can do it with a complete stranger, do you think there's an afterlife? I do it on a YouTube channel all the time. I do it now, our our ministry. Let me show you how I do it. A plumber comes into the ministry. He's fixing something in a sink. I don't know who he is. I just walk in and say, hi, how are you doing? He says, good. I say, what's your name? He says, Eric. And then I say, Eric, do you think there's an afterlife? I haven't mentioned I haven't mentioned God, Jesus, heaven, hell, the Bible, sin, righteousness, judgment, all these things that make us and him feel uncomfortable. I've merely asked for his opinion. Now, I've got a tadpole in my throat trying to evolve into a frog. I'll just try and get rid of it. Hang on. <coughs> Forgive me. That's better. So I haven't mentioned God, Jesus, the Bible, heaven, hell, all these things that make him or me feel uncomfortable. I've just asked for his opinion. Do you think there's an afterlife? And he'll say something like this, and it happens all the time, Wow, that's the big question. So do you think there's a heaven and hell? I don't know. I said, do you think about it much? He says, all the time. And his all the Mm -hmm. time just dissipates my fears. He's not the Antichrist. He hasn't stabbed me to death. He's a human being with a will to live. He thinks about dying all the time, and I brought the subject up. And so I said, well, do you think heaven exists? He says, I don't know. If it does exist, are you good enough to go there? Are you a good person? And Eric says, yeah, I'm a really good person. I said, let's just check because I want to make sure you're going to heaven. And that's when I take him through the commandments. So that's what brought my Goliath down to a Zacchaeus. It brought my mountain down to a molehill. Just the knowledge that I can say to any stranger within minutes, do you think there's an afterlife? And it really does help get rid of that fear of man.
1: So I think that's a great way to get out of the starting blocks. Appreciate that. I want to ask about the other end of the equation, because one of the things that has discouraged me in this at times, Ray, and I'm just going to be honest here, is, is when I have shared and there is no harvest, so to speak, there are no results. So how would, you, how would you speak to the person that is in that situation who has a habit of sharing Jesus but hasn't seen uh, the results? Where, where is the responsibility and how would you encourage them to get over that hurdle?
3: Yeah, your theology will be determined by your methodology, or methodology will be determined by your theology, should I say. If you believe that salvation is the Lord, that God saves people, that we can't do anything at all except plant seed, that takes responsibility off you. When I plant an an apple tree, I don't plant an apple tree and go out there and say, "Where's the apples the next day. There's no immediate results. God causes the seed to grow. So as Christians, we sow in tears. We plant the seed. God gives the increase and someone reaps. And sometimes I reap, but I know it's because God has been doing the work in the heart. So that takes all the responsibility off me. You know, um, the Ethiopian eunuch, he was reaped by Paul. Uh, Sorry, Peter, I'm just thinking of uh, um, so many instances, like you got Nicodemus. There wasn't any um, reaping at that particular point. Jesus just planted seed in his heart. We don't know what happened to Nicodemus. And the rich young ruler walked away from Jesus, and he went away, and and Jesus was sorrowful because he he loved him. But that's the way it is with evangelism. So I don't have to get a decision from anybody. Um, I just have to plant the seed faithfully, and God's faithful to water it and cause it to grow.
1: That's so good. We've only got a couple of minutes left, Ray, but I want to get your thoughts on how to prepare for other competing religions or viewpoints. My kids are actually in a worldviews class right now where they get exposure to what other people believe, and it is giving them, um, um, I think, advanced warning about the arguments that they will receive and maybe how to present compelling arguments in return. But what would you say to that? Why uh, do we need to know about other uh, other belief systems? And if so, why and how do we prepare to respond?
3: Yes and no. We need to be culturally sensitive. We need to be loving and kind and gentle. But it's very important to realize that Romans 8 verse 7 says the countermine is enmity against God. It's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So if you want an argument with someone, stay with the carnal kind of mind. Get to talk to some cultist about his religion, you're going to get arguments. What I do is if I meet someone in Jehovah's Witness or something like that, or a Muslim, I just do it, treat them like I treat everybody else. Do you think you're a good person? That's when you go to the conscience. With a Jehovah's Witness, they're into works righteousness. Same with Mormons, same with Muslims. So it's all in the same boat. You just have to shut them up under the law, see them that they're guilty, and say, God, the creator, provided a savior. We don't have to suffer. We don't have to be religious. Salvation's a free gift of God. So that takes a lot of heat of us trying to educate ourselves about Islam and Mormonism, Hinduism, and all these different things. You don't have to learn all that as long as you're culturally sensitive you show your love and kindness towards people when you're speaking to them and have a tone of um, of not being condescending or self-righteous, just show love and concern for them because their desire is to find everlasting life and you just guide them through the darkness to the light.
1: Ray, I am so grateful for your ministry. I am grateful for your example. I'm grateful for this new resource. I will definitely use it, and I appreciate you spending some time with us today. Thank you for being here.
3: Great to talk to you. God bless.
1: The book is Why Jesus Answering Life's Most Important Question, and you can get it wherever books are sold. The ministry is Living Waters at livingwaters.com, and, of course, it is Ray Comfort. I want to close this hour with this. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And get this, the last words of Jesus recorded in the Gospel of Matthew, and surely I am with you always. To the very end of the age. We're going to pick this conversation up in hour two with John Hopper, who has a similar message of calling people to the side of Jesus Christ. I'm Than Bennett, in for Bill today, and we'll be back with more after this.
0: Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at myfaithradio.com.